Bibi Fahodie, welcome to the African Liberation Media Podcast. Media solely focused on the liberation and empowerment of African people. I'm your host, Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Russell Swilly. Let's get to it. Bibi Fodier, this is African Liberation Media. The day's date is December 29th, 6261. I just want to start off with the um, dislocation of Africans who have found lodging in the quote in close proximity to 277 in Graham Street. The conditions are not fit for humans. No running water, no heat, no hot water. Basically left to survive on whatever extras or donations people give them. You know, one day I visited them, uh, brothers. It must have been about 28 degrees Christmas Day. I visited with them a time before that. Um, encountered a brother who introduced himself as Dr. Stafford. You know, the sad thing about it is that these brothers and sisters have no agency. They have no political currency in this society. Um it's just a very unfortunate situation, but perhaps a harbinger of things to come. This is African Liberation Media. I'm here with brothers Amos and Macaroo. I'm Russell A. Swilly, a.k.a. Gullah Jack. Gentlemen, take it where you want to take it. A baby for Hodie. For those of you who have been following African Liberation Media, listening to our podcast, you know that we've been very skeptical of the source of COVID, whether it was created in a lab or whether it was a natural occurrence. And we've been providing information on this um, since the latter part of 2019 going into 2020, when everything started to really take shape in the news. Well, now they're pushing this coronavirus vaccine and they're bringing celebrities and political figures out specifically in front of the black community to promote this vaccine as a safe and effective uh, tool against the coronavirus, specifically stating that black people are leery of taking this vaccine due to historical things that have happened. Uh, that many of us are aware of um, that have been documented in works like Medical Apartheid written by Harriet Washington, things like the Tuskegee Experiment and others where they've used us in many cases as test subjects for their medications, diseases, and vaccinations. And they're trying to build up the confidence in the black community by getting these people out on the forefront and going out on the record and stating that, you know, as a black woman, Kismikia Corbett, who was the person who developed or was one of the person, the people who were 
instrumental in developing the Moderna vaccine that Anthony Fauci's uh, team was responsible for producing. But in many cases, a lot of the negative side effects that have been reported about the vaccine have been swept under the rug. And they will tell you to ignore instances where people have reported very horrific results after taking this vaccination. Now, I, I ran across a video where there was a nurse warning of the side effects of this vaccine. It was a black nurse. And I want to play this video um, because in many cases with vaccinations, what doctors and scientists do is they, they look at the majority and they ignore the minority of people who might be affected, whether it be an allergy uh, or whether it be some type of um, ill condition that they receive from taking this vaccination. And they really have a limited way to know if you're going to be adversely affected or not. But just listen to the testimony that this nurse gave about her experience with taking the vaccine. I recently took the COVID-19 vaccination. After the shot, I felt fine. But within three days, I went to the doctor because I had problems with my face. The whole left side of my face, actually. Um, I have Bell palsy now. And as you can see, I can't smile. I'm trying to smile. I'm just kind of embarrassing for But I just want everyone to know that I think this vaccination is the worst thing ever. And I would not give this to anybody, even my worst enemy. Please, America, they do not care about us. Do not take this vaccination. Now, this was uh, reported. You can go on InfoWars if you want to see the actual video. Um, but this went viral on social media. And immediately, of course, as expected, the mainstream media released fact checks about the COVID-19 vaccine and reports of Bell's palsy. And... They came out and actually stated that there have been people, which they say is a small amount, who have developed Bell's palsy from taking this vaccination. But they say that it's nothing to worry about because it should clear up within a month. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to take a risk with my life and taking something that it can't be guaranteed what effect it would really have on you. And that's how it is with many vaccinations. There are many vaccinations that some people will consider to be positive, but one thing that they will always have to tell you is that there is a small chance that you could be affected if you have a certain type of allergy you could have an adverse side effect to the vaccine 
And in some cases, you know, it's been proven that people have died from taking vaccinations. Now, like I said, people always say that, it, you know, it's a smaller percentage and the greater majority of the population won't be affected. But. I mean, even one person is too many. When somebody goes into a facility looking to take something that's supposed to benefit them and then it kills them or it makes them sick, then they were better off uh, not taking the vaccination. Some volunteers who took part in Pfizer and Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine trials experienced brief facial paralysis or weakness. The condition is called Bell's palsy. Four people in the Pfizer trials, three in the Moderna trials developed the condition. Researchers say Bell's palsy is more common and less severe than people think, adding that there were not enough cases during the trial to determine whether the vaccines caused them or they were just a coincidence. The exact causes of Bell's palsy are unknown, but it's believed to be the result of swelling and inflammation of nerves or a reaction after a viral infection. The so. With that, brothers and sisters, I say, you know, it's my recommendation that black people be very cautious of jumping out there in front of everybody else and taking a vaccination. And then you have to worry about if you're going to receive the same vaccination that white people are going to receive. I mean, that's people try to say that this stuff doesn't happen, but we've seen too many times in history where this has happened where you know black people have been not treated the same not given the same treatment as whites and then we have to take this into consideration they could give you i saw a uh, article by the nation of islam and they were talking about um dirty vaccines and this is something that we face on the African continent where they they'll say that they'll give you one vaccine, but they could really be exposing you to or shooting you up with something else. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that is the, that is the risk. And I, and, and, and I think that it's the, the position of the uh, medical power structure and the political power structure to uh, get as many people vaccinated to try to develop, uh, you know, some type of uh, herd immunity uh, to this, uh, you know, virus so that, uh, you know, they can get the uh, economy, you know, reopened and they'll deal with the consequences of it later. I mean, I would think that, you know, something like Bell's palsy would probably be the least of, of things that somebody has to worry about in terms of effects because Bell's palsy is, is supposed, supposed to be a temporary condition. But, you know, who knows if this, you know, what, how it's reacting to, uh, you know, the injections that people have been taking. Uh, but, you know, it, 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 it goes back to um, how people just have to really and truly just be absolutely determined to do everything we can to build up our immune systems uh, 
there have been a number of recent studies. And, you know, this was interesting. I had my physical exam, uh, I think it was back in October. And so my doctor asked me if I was going to take the uh, vaccine. And I said, no. I said, I'm going to keep taking vitamin D. And uh, I said, you know, I said, that's what I that's what I started doing in the spring. As soon as it got uh, warm, you know, uh, even before the vernal equinox, I said, look, I'm going out and get as much vitamin D as I can because, you know, everything that I was reading was saying that vitamin D, vitamin D is the most important uh, vitamin or mineral that we can take or herb that we can take to boost our immune system. And so my doctor said, well, you know, well, you know, the medical community is just not quite on board with that yet. I mean, we we haven't done enough studies. I said, okay, well, you know, is that you speaking or is that big farmer speaking? Uh, but, you know, we just posted a story from a doctor at Boston University that said um, his studies revealed that, uh, you know, vitamin uh, D reduce the, the uh, possibility of catching uh, the coronavirus by 54%. And there have been, a, since then, I've, I've seen a lot, a lot of information on vitamin D. So, I mean, vitamin D, vitamin C, zinc, uh, all of the other things that you could take to uh, to boost, boost your immune system, I think that's where we need to be focused. But mm-hmm. we got to get, we got to get all of these other problems under control. And I know a lot of it, a lot of it is induced by, you know, white supremacy, uh, hypertension, and, you know, the enormous stress that we're under, which increases our allostatic load which they call weathering, which causes us to have shorter, you know, life expectancies, particularly black men. But we just got to get it under control, man. You know, this epidemic of diabetes. You know, I, uh, you know, used to work for a brother that owned a company, and we did a lot of disability transportation. And I've taken people to dialysis, uh, it's just an epidemic of dialysis and they're building these treatment centers all over everywhere. And, you know, I, I take a patient there. Sometimes I'd wait for the patient. Sometimes I'd come back because they're going to be in there for, you know, three, uh, three or four hours, depending on where, I, where, I, where I was, you know, doing the, the, uh, delivery. And what you see coming out of these dialysis facilities, I mean, it looks 70, 70% black, 70% black people. And the interesting thing, a lot of people don't know, what a lot of people don't know is that many of the people uh, on dialysis, they have renal failure, not because necessarily of diabetes, but because of hypertension. High blood pressure causes the, the body to release high levels of creatinine and high levels of creatinine will literally kill your kidneys. So we just got to be on guard a hundred percent. Yeah. With this, with the vaccine, but with all of the other things that are, you know, we have in this country at the highest levels of certain forms of cancers and, you know, other diseases. So we just, we just really, I mean, we need it. We need a health movement, <laughs> you know, as, as part of the African liberation movement, you know, we need a health movement. And, and I've always contended that being in the movement 
is uh, psychologically healthy and probably physically healthy because you're fighting back against those things that are causing us to be in the condition that we're in. And, you know, granted, there's risk involved, but, hey, look, you're dying, you're, you're dying at an early age anyway by not fighting back. So, you know, that's that's my take on it. And, you know, another thing, you know, we, we posted the story was it last week, week before last, I think it was last week, about Dr. Susan Moore. This sister's a medical doctor. They wouldn't even treat her. They had her in the ICU and sent her home. The sister went home and died. A medical doctor, a black female medical doctor. So, and we got to do the things up front. We got to do the things up front and... Everybody just go out and do your own research on vitamin D. That's 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 my recommendation. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why America was hit as hard as it was with coronavirus is due to a lot of the underlying health conditions of people that live in America, specifically African people in America. We are already out of our environment, like you stated, with the vitamin D being further away from the sun in many cases most people are in the house all day or at work all day and not really getting out and doing any type of activities outside so you're already vitamin d deficient in most cases mm-hmm. and then we have an obesity problem where a lot of our people are overweight um and extremely more overweight than uh our brothers and sisters on the continent and and i you know when i go back to africa i often see the food the the, the fruit is a lot fresher um most cases because it's it's coming more locally than it would here in America because of the climate. A lot of the food here has to be imported from other places in the world. And when it's out of season, then you're not getting something as fresh as you would if it was growing in season. So it definitely starts with the diet first um, as far as your health is concerned. And then everything else that you talked about in regards to the factors of the stresses of the white power structure and being around our eternal enemy, it makes it even harder to to uh, monitor your health when you're dealing with these type of stressors every day. And then also when you're dealing with the stresses from your own people. You know, the people right there in your community who are, you know, killing you or shooting at you or robbing you or stealing from you. So, I mean, these are things that we have to deal with and we have to, we have to, you know, work even harder than whites have to work because, you know, this is more closer to their natural environment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, the violence, I went to a candlelight vigil tonight for 30 year old uh, Sinquay Farah, who is a cousin to uh, my uh, my son and my daughter. And, uh, you know, all of us were there. Uh, as I, you know, I talked about the young man last week that used to come to my house and sit in front of my computer using, you know, the Internet to do his homework. And uh, now he's been taken away. Uh, one of, since he was killed, there have been seven or nine, let's see, 17, yeah, about seven murders in this city now uh, at uh, 123 homicides, which 
And for some reason, they're saying there's a record, but for years we said 127 was a record back in 1993. We had one, 114 in 1991, uh, including uh, a young man that uh, my family took in and raised Kenneth Walker, the skipper. He was one of those that was that was murdered back in the 1990s. Uh, he was 27. Um, you know, we understood we understood in the 90s what was going on. We we had a clear understanding of why, you know, there was so much, uh, you know, death from violence. You know, and I know a lot of people, you know, we got this, there's a war going on against the use of the term black-on-black violence. I, I don't care what you call it. It's people of African descent killing people of African descent. And you, changing the name doesn't, won't stop, won't solve the problem. And people say, well, white people don't call their murders white-on-white violence. Well, white people can't be a standard for anything positive that we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, they don't call when when Gullah Jack and I were in school, and they were telling us Columbus discovered America. They didn't call it white history, but that's what it was. So anyway, uh, but anyway, uh, we went to the to to the, to the vigil, and combining combining the fifty thousand plus deaths from the uh, COVID nineteen pandemic that uh, African people in the United States have suffered. And with those numbers, that was, which will definitely increase over uh, the rest of the winter. There's no question about that. The, you know, the, 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 the virus is spreading exponentially. And uh, so when we, could, when we combine those deaths, plus the deaths from the, from, you know, the already health disparities uh, that, 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 that we've been, you know, subjected to since uh, 1619. And now this, 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 scourge, this scourge of homicides, uh, stress induced from massive unemployment, on top of the massive unemployment we were already dealing with, right? You can't use the U- United States official uh, unemployment rate it's not worth a hill of beans ever since sick Willie Clinton changed the way you measured it. If if I haven't looked for a job in the last six months, then I'm no longer unemployed because I haven't looked for a job. So it's, it's, it's ridiculous, but in terms of the, the way they count those figures, but uh, we, we, we have that and, you know, we that that unemployment, particularly in our community, because so many of us work in service industries, uh, has in, has increased. So you have the stress from that, uh, which uh, also uh, contributes to what Gullah Jack experienced. And Jack called me when he was down there at the uh, at the tent city. I guess they have uh, different locations, uh, different camps in the same area. And now you have 30 to 40 million people who are behind in their rent. I think the total amount of money they're behind is somewhere in the neighborhood of $70 million or something to that effect. 
You got 30 to 40 million people facing eviction. And the, the, the wicked and corrupt politicians in the Democrat and Republican Party on Capitol Hill, uh, they, they came up with just a, a, a ridiculous spending bill. And they, uh, they attached the COVID relief to uh, the spending bill but they only extended the moratorium on evictions until January 31st. So you could potentially be putting 30 to 40 million people, children, women, older people, out in the dead of winter here in the wilderness of North America. How insane. I mean... These politicians that are currently running the United States from the president on down, this country is, is, they are symptomatic of an empire in decline. Nero personified. They, and with the two last two leaders they've chosen, they, they're scraping the absolute bottom of the septic tank. And this is what we're dealing with. But yet a lot of our people are still tied into this corrupt two-party system. And so, you know, that's what I was saying. You know, I had, I, I was called on, uh, you know, to do our Kwanzaa programs to speak uh, in the absence of our uh, good brother, the right Reverend Dr. Sheldon R. Shipman, who normally gives our Omoja and Imani uh, messages. And no one can give an Imani message like uh, Reverend Dr. Shipman my good friend Skip, uh, but I was called upon to uh, to fill in for him. And, you know, this is like 30, 30 consecutive years that we have produced Kwanzaa programs in Charlotte, but this year we had to go the virtual route like everyone else. But one of the things that I was focusing on was if there was ever a time when we really need as a community, as a group of people, to uh, practice the uh, seven principles of the Nguza Saba, uh, Emoja, Unity, Kujichakalil, Self-Determination, Ujima, Collective Work and Responsibility, Ujamaa, Cooperative Economics, Nia, Purpose, uh, Kuumba, Creativity, and Imani, Faith. If there was ever a time, it's, it's this time right now because on top of all of those other things that I just mentioned, the American empire is in the process of collapsing, and our people are totally unprepared for what's coming down the pipe. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, uh, that I mentioned, uh, you know, when I was asked to do the speech was this concept of uh, when I, I did the speech on Emoja, you know, I picked out this uh, quote from Dr. Karinga's uh, book, uh, you know, the one that I've had since... Uh, the 1990s. Matter of fact, when I was out in L.A., I got him to autograph it. Um, this is what he said. Another way of discussing unity is to see it as active solidarity. This essentially means a, a firm, dependable togetherness that is born, based, and sustained in action. It is usually applied to groups, organizations, classes, people, and expresses itself in building together, struggling together, 
maintaining together and acting together for mutual benefits. Okay. Active solidarity. Now, the, the, the last example of active solidarity that, that was really effective was what we saw during the civil rights movement. And it was beginning to form uh, during the uh, black liberation movement, black power converting to black liberation. And what it requires is that you have a group of people. You don't need millions. All you need is a critical mass. A critical mass is the amount of energy necessary to create change. But what you saw was that you had uh, old organizations that had been in existence and new organizations that came into existence like the uh, Southern Christian Leadership Conference and the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. A lot of these groups along the old line organizations, the NAACP and the Congress of Racial Equality and the Urban League, uh, they weren't necessarily uh, ideologically aligned, but they all saw a need to rectify the conditions that, that were being imposed upon us by uh, American apartheid. And so, and so they, they, they worked together operationally to attack that problem. And then those who, who became radicalized during the process, the people who started on freedom rides like uh, Kwame Ture, then known as Stokely Carmichael, and Baba Mikasa, Willie Ricks, who we've had on this program, Jamil Elamine, all of these guys started doing the most basic things. Right. I mean, just the most basic things. And as a result of their consciousness growing and, and you really are talking about Gullah Jacket testified is you can talk to some of the most some of the most brilliant minds that we've ever produced. And I, I would put them in my mind because I have an activist orientation ahead of the scholars because they had the combination of both thought and practice, even more so than the scholars. And that I'm not saying that we don't. The scholars serve their purpose. We need we need people that are producing, doing research and producing data. But these were brilliant people, and they became radicalized, and so they shifted the movement. They say, well, this, you know, we see the history from Reconstruction. We know these laws can be overturned, so we need power. And this was beginning to develop in the 19 uh, late 1960s. Uh, when uh, the, the United States government declared war on us, on the Black Liberation Movement, you know, assassinations, jailings, you know, mass incarceration, some of our brothers still incarcerated, sisters uh, in exile like Asada Shakur, people like Mamiya Abu Jamal, Sundiata Kohli, uh, Chip Fitzgerald, many others, uh, you know, still in prison, you know, from that from that era, fighting for our liberation. But you know, this is something that, that, you know, we really, 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 I, I'm telling you, based on what I see coming down, uh, we're not prepared for it. And we really, we really, really need this concept of active solidarity of working together, uh, you know, reaching a consensus on something. Okay. To try to uh, try to deal with these problems. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, you know, Brother Amos Wilson, uh, theoretician, activist, always warned us about our orientation 
in that we tend to react to problems as opposed to being proactive. I mean, we see this coming down within what is the initial step that will guarantee our survival. That's what we're really talking about. You know, our reactionary mode, you know, puts us in a position where we always uh, appear to be overwhelmed by events and circumstances versus acting on the front end of the problem. You know, why is it you have to ask yourself, you know, is it because of our paternalistic relationship with the European? What is it? Uh, you know, it's obvious that, um, you know, we are dysfunctional based on, you know, the inculcation of European thought. Dysfunctional to the point where, you know, many of the axioms, you know, don't even appear to be applicable regarding finding ourselves, you know, pressed against the corner and not being able to, you know, as one poet laureate mentioned, fight back in any type of form. You know, we are totally, you know, to make the concept uh, that Brother Amos talk applicable to this situation, we're totally out. We, we have been denatured. Mm-hmm. You know, dysfunctional and denatured to the point where, you know, you can use so many analogies, you know, the analogy probably that comes to mind immediately is the analogy of a frog that's placed in boiling water. He becomes comfortable and then he dies. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, it, it is a sad, sad situation, you know, and when I saw these brothers and sisters the other day on Christmas day, you know, it just occurred to me that this may foretell the, what will happen to masses of African people. You know, given the number of pratfalls and barriers that you brothers have mentioned, mm-hmm. it is highly conceivable. I walked onto the property and I said, sir, are you in charge? He said, yes. I said, well, then what's your name? He said, I am Dr. Stafford. I didn't make any inquiries as to how he found himself in that in himself in that situation, what may have happened or what, but you know, brother spoke most eloquently and uh, he told me where to put my few items. Hmm. You know, very frustrating experience, you know, because I was just so limited. You know, I'm certainly not trying to claim any sanctimonious behavior on my part. You know, I'm just curious and, uh, you know. <laughs> Well, that, you you just you just doing what you do. I mean, that's what you always do. You always, you always go, you know, to the people because, you know, one 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 problem with so-called quote-unquote conscious people is we spend too much time talking to other conscious people, and not enough time talking to other people, and so. But you're always a person who talks to everybody. <laughs> it doesn't matter who they are. You know, the red, the rednecks red, red chewing tobacco over in Cleveland County or whoever. But you know, one of the things, you know, there's this perception about homelessness. And, you know, it goes along with the stereotypes that, you know, what do these people do to put themselves in this condition? I mean, you know, they got to be some kind of character flaws. And, you know, I worked, uh, you know, I was a uh, shift 
uh, manager or whatever at a, at the at this local shelter here for two years, and some of the most brilliant people you will ever meet have, for various reasons, wound up in homeless conditions. And of course, see, you, we ex, we we saw this explosion of tent cities first. I mean, you know, I mean, let's not even, we're not, we're not even going to go back to, you know, 1929 and 1930s or whatever. During the 2008-2009 recession, when there were so many foreclosures, right, you know, just by the grace of God, I had another place to go to. You know, you had massive unemployment and then these foreclosures and tent cities started popping up all over the United States, uh, including a lot of white people were living, were kicked out of their homes and living in tents. But but one of the things that, that uh, always impressed me about, uh, you know, that I learned, I should say, from working in the shelter was the different reasons. Yeah, there are a lot of people that are there because, you know, drug abuse, uh, you know, it may be a con- convicted felon or whatever can't get a job, but you know you there are, and this 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 is something that really speaks to the mentality of this country. The percentage of guys that were in that shelter who were veterans of foreign wars, and most of them were white, and the United States government doesn't even care about the people they sent off to war. You know, this this was one of Obama's priorities. Supposedly, he was going to reduce veteran homelessness. And, but some just utterly, uh, I mean, highly intelligent people. I mean, you know, one thing we always find on the streets when we talk to people is that some of the most intelligent people might be somebody that dropped out of school in the 11th grade. And, but they, they, their perception of things of the way things work in the world, <laughs> they can drop an analysis on you that will exceed a PhD in political science. But you know the percept, you know the perception, the way the media, well, these people, you know, is you know they have some flaw in their character. They did some, no, a lot of the, you know, there was one guy uh, went through a divorce. You know, his wife wound up taking everything, and he was abruptly thrown out didn't have nowhere to go luckily the shelter was there for him to temporarily you know try to get himself back together save some money to get there's all kinds of reasons why you know these things happen uh but as a country the country has to be indicted for its failure you know this is what dr king talked about when he talked about the evil triplets this is i mean this 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 is this is you know and this is why, you know, Jack was telling me about this the other day. Uh, Dr. King's proposed speech that he was going to deliver on April the 7th at Ebenezer was titled, Why America May Go to Hell. And I don't think anything that has occurred since Doc was killed over 50 years ago to change that the course the collision course this country has with barbarism. 
and we have got to get prepared. Otherwise, it's going to land on us like a nuclear bomb. Yeah, I think the problem um, it stems from the system itself. I think that with this type of system, you have to have people in a position of being poor in order for the people who are considered to be rich to continue to bring in the wealth that they that they bring in and um as long as that system is in place not only are people going to be disenfranchised here but they're going to be disenfranchised in other areas around the world where these people also go and steal the majority of their wealth and resources um one of the things that i think does need to be improved is there are people who often take advantage of the system and take away resources from people who may be in more need than them there's some people who are disabled some people who can't work some people who are forced in certain conditions and then there's some people who are just flat out lazy and they're willing to to, to live on government assistance um even though they have the ability to go out and do something for themselves. And I think those type of people who, and I know people personally who, um, who do this. Um, so those type of people are the people that take away from other people who may need those resources because of a sickness or a condition that disenfranchises them from being able to make a living for themselves or, people who may be elderly that may need um, those resources as well. Um, but that still does not discount the greater problem, which is the system itself, which perpetuates people being in this condition to, to have to fend for themselves because people are hoarding so many resources, paying people low wages, um, knowing that these wages can't provide uh, a decent living for people to go out and buy food and groceries and um, have a place to live. I mean, it's a housing situation problem in Charlotte where the housing costs more than a lot of the people who live here are able to afford to pay for. Yeah, that's very true. That's, that's very true, you know. And 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 one and one 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 point there that that uh, if if we look specifically at the uh, first stimulus, where you know they gave you know the twelve hundred dollar checks, and I think it was uh, I, I'm trying to remember. I think if you were a married family making up to one hundred fifty thousand dollars, something like that. Uh, you know, you would get a check. And some economists, a group of uh, about 125 economists did a study on how the stimulus money was spent. And what they found was that the people, you know, in the bottom 50% of the economy who were, who received checks, they spent that money on basic necessities. The people that were like, making $75,000 a year, they just put the money in the bank in their savings. Mm -hmm. So why, why are you paying these people? Yeah, I, I mean, agree. Why, is, why isn't it more staggered so that the people who need the money the most 
Why shouldn't they get like maybe three thousand dollars and this other guy maybe get a hundred dollars? I mean, how ridiculous is it? No, I agree because I feel as though, and I was—it's funny because I was talking to uh, my wife about this the other day, and even with these two thousand dollars stimulus checks, you have people who have been working consistently the same way that they worked last year, even do during coronavirus. A lot of people exactly. Who work yeah. for banks in Charlotte and other jobs? They're working from home. They haven't missed a beat. Not a beat. They've saved more money than they usually save because you can't go anywhere. You can't spend your money on what you normally spend your money on in most cases. So your savers account should be a lot more. But yet the government doesn't do enough vetting to actually look at the conditions of people and decide who really needs the money. Exactly. It's just like, exactly. you know, you, you put up a COVID relief bill, $900 billion, and then you got all of this fluff money that's going on, that's going overseas into other, you know, projects and all of these, you know, yeah. different funds. $1.4 billion to Egypt. Right. You know, $500, $500, $500 million to Israel to build some more. Uh, more missiles or something. I mean, it's, see, these are their these are their investments, and all of these senators and congressmen, they are part of the investment. They invest in foreign countries, and they get a kickback um, from these countries. And this is how they really make their money because they don't make it from the salary they make. They make it from, you know, these political kickbacks and these people who pay for you know their campaigns. So they so. Of course, Mitch McConnell will reject a two thousand dollars stimulus check because what kind of investment is that for him? That's doing nothing mm -hmm. for him. He would rather give there's, you six hundred dollars. There, there's still this perception out there. If you talk to Joe Billy Bob in uh, Cleveland County of undeserved blacks receiving stimulus checks, you know, even though whites can deal with them, they can use them. Undeserved blacks taking advantage of hardworking whites it's out there but the other point you made brother is uh you know dr teray would say it's you know just the capitalist system and the ethic that is perpetuated you know whether you are you know at the uh at the top of wall street ceo or on the street this ethic of getting money by any means necessary is pervasive regardless as to you know, what strata you find yourself, for lack of a better term. And so, um, you know, clearly this mentality results in us, as everybody knows, and black folk preying on each other. Yeah. You yeah. know, one of the things happened uh, last night that, that kind of made me reflect on. Uh, so my daughter, you know, we, you know, had left the doctor, so she needed we needed to find somewhere to get, you know, some soup. You know, she didn't want to try to come on, fix, make some homemade soup or whatever. And so we started calling around different places. Called a place, got a recording. After 40 years, we had to close. You know, uh, we, we're closed. This, that. And so, you know, what's interesting, and, and this this is reflective of, you know, Dr. King, I yeah, I think the, 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 the three evils speech was just one of the greatest speeches he ever gave. You know, one of, one of the things Doc said in that speech was, you know, we have, you know, capitalism for the poor and socialism for the rich. And so a practical application of that was, so in 2008, when 
these people have been playing all of, with all of these gimmicks called derivatives, literally making money out of thin air, okay? Not producing anything, just just creating some paper documents to make money. Or, you know, taking my mortgage and chopping it up <laughs> in 20,000 different ways or whatever, you know, uh, and uh, mortgage-backed securities, all these kind of types of things, uh, credit default swaps, uh, collateralized debt obligations, all these kinds of gimmicks. And so it blew up. It blew up. And so the government said these banks and General Motors and Chrysler are too big to fail. They are too big to fail. So we got to bail them out. So in, so that was the mentality. It's still the mentality because, you know, countries run by, you know, the uh, oligarchs. But these businesses, like the people, places we were calling last night, would, the government decided they were too small to save. So on the one hand, Bank of America is too big to fail, but, you know, cat, Chad's soup kitchen is too small to save. That's you the know, mentality. Go ahead, and, and the sad thing about it, you know, I'll be very brief, is uh, the AG, Eric Holder, prosecuted few, if any, of these kleptocrats. <laughs> I mean, in fact, he, I mean, I just saw the other day the uh, law firm that has rehired him, Covington and Burling out of D.C. That's what they specialize in is exonerating white-collar criminals. Exactly, yeah. So, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's I mean, I mean, so... Yes, sir, so what does it do? What does it really mean to have a black president or a black uh, attorney general? We got to get beyond, I mean, this... Uh, if your analysis is based on melanin alone, then, uh, you know, you got a serious problem. I mean, it's got to be more ideology and act for the people doing, you know, for the masses of people. But, you know, I mean, it's, you know, and, and, and the thing of it is, is you would think, you would think that this country would be right for a working class revolution, but the impact of white supremacy, <laughs> it goes right back to, you know, Joe Redneck you was talking to over there in Shelby. Joe now, Billy Bob Ray Henry. You know, yeah, no, no, uh, we're not gonna we we're not gonna align with the black workers because even though we might benefit, they'll benefit. Dr. King, this country is ripe for a revolution, but I'm afraid it is only capable of a right wing revolution. Well, the thing the thing about this system is mm -hmm. is um when you look at the formation of the world, people lived on the planet according to where they could survive. So originally you had people who, you know, were hunter-gatherers, and then out of hunter-gathering you got pastoralism, and then later people started to learn how to domesticate animals and cultivate crops uh, with agriculture, and then you started to build cities, and then out of those cities, and you know, people developed civilizations. But here's the the problem with the United States. In the United States, every square inch of land in the United States is owned 
by somebody either a person or the government there's no land where a human can go and just live it's taxed so either you're going to pay property taxes or you're going to have to pay to live on this land and in other countries and I'm not saying all countries but in other countries for the most cases there are areas where people can live off of the land and not have to pay taxes to the government mm. and these people do things like grow their own food okay they build their homes they may be homes made out of um, mud or or straw or what have you but it's an area for them to live and survive here like Gullah Jack mentioned off 277 and Graham, people are having to set up tents out there. If they try to even plant a garden in the ground, the city of Charlotte will more than likely come out there and, and write them some type of ordinance or ticket or fine them for doing so. So it's like here, you're boxed into a system where you have to go out every day and um work to pay taxes to the government and then in, in many cases the work that you're given is coming in, in a form of a low to no wage by a corporation where the people who run it are taking in raking in you know mass profits the only difference is you know here in America, you have systems set up where they'll pay for your food stamps and they'll pay for your assisted living and stuff like that versus in other places, you know, in some cases you may not get the government to pay for anything. You're going to have to know how to survive on your own. So, I mean, it's a trade-off of people, you know, it's it's, 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 it's a trade-off in, in, in all systems that you have. You know, you have issues with communism you have issues with capitalism you have issues with socialism um i think all forms of these systems are systems of zionism that if people focus on the real problem which is these wealthy people who control all of these systems then you can come up with a more balanced uh system that all people can benefit from right Egalitarianism. Yeah, that's what Kwame Nkrumah talked about. <laughs> These are perilous times. What's forthcoming is almost too unfathomable to digest. As difficult as it may appear in terms of our futuristic options, we cannot be paralyzed by despair. Ultimately, with our conscience having been raised, we have to act. I am Gullah Jack, a.k.a. Roxole Swilly. I've been here with brothers Macaru and Amos. This is the African Liberation Media, BB48. 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 Power or the lack of power. I want to repeat this. Power or the lack of power. If your education in this institution is not about gaining real power, not job, 
because your jobs do not represent power. Not getting elected, that does not represent power either. You are buying your houses and fine clothes, does not represent power either. If it is not about real power, you are being miseducated and misled, and you will die educated and misled. If your study of black history is merely an exercise in feeling good about yourself, then you will die feeling good. The study of history then must be more than the pumping up of your self-esteem and the pumping up of your pride. Those things are important, but ultimately those things are not the means by which we will save ourselves as people in this world.